Welcome to IG Talk with Robert Smallwood. This is a podcast featuring interviews with information governance leaders around the world, discussions about IG news, events, and best practices. Today's episode features Robert's interview with Odia Kagan, an entertaining and insightful thought leader in data privacy. And now, here's Robert and Odia. Hi, today we have Odia Kagan, partner and chair of the GDPR Compliance and International Privacy Group at Fox Rothschild out of Philadelphia. And uh, welcome to the program, Odia. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. That's great. We're featuring Odia because she's one of our keynote speakers. She's graciously accepted to be a, a keynote for InfoGov World 2022 this fall in the, at the end of September. And uh, Odia is a specialist in, in GDPR, and uh, there's a lot uh, going on. So let's just start out for people that aren't familiar with it. Who or what is SHREMS, and, and how did that all get started? <laughs> I think it's a who and a what at this point. Um, Max Schrems is a privacy activist. He is the founder of NOIB, which is a nonprofit uh, privacy uh, organization. Uh, NOIB stands for none of your business. He filed a number of complaints in connection with various aspects of GDPR. One of those complaints that was against Facebook uh, made it to the highest court of Europe, the Court of Justice of the EU, and it has to do with cross-border transfers. Uh, which means an issue here was how Facebook Ireland, which is the company that is has the relationship contractually with European users, um, pro- collects the information in Europe, right? And then as the structure of Facebook is, information goes over to the U.S. and is processed by Facebook Inc. in the U.S., um, so as you know, uh, GDPR has a particular structure and requirements, added requirements for when you transfer data outside of the EU to a country that has not been recognized by the EU as a providing an adequate level of protection to privacy. The U.S. traditionally was not that, but it was at some point uh, pursuant to this self-certification mechanism called Privacy Shield. In the decision, which is called the Schrems 2 case, the court uh, basically said, okay, well, Privacy Shield is not working for us um, because it does not, mainly, the main reason was, it does not prevent access from uh, U.S. governmental authorities, such as the NSA, pursuant to the Snowden revelations, And um, the structure does not prevent the NSA from accessing. Therefore, the U.S. is the privacy shield does not grant U.S. adequacy. Privacy shield is dead. In addition, another mechanism that was used, the uh, standard contractual clauses, this was not a U.S. specific mechanism. This is used for any third country, which is a contractual mechanism. They said, "Okay, well, clauses they're, we're not canceling them. They're okay to use per se, but when you use them for the US, that's not enough. You need something called a supplemental measure. And a supplemental measure could be a tech, technical protections. It could be uh, policies and procedures. It could be contractual measures. It could be a combination of those, 
with the idea that after you apply them, you then reach a level of protection that is enough so that you can then carry out the transfers to the U.S. And this was uh, about a year ago, a year plus ago. And since then, we've had now a number of cases and enforcements that have basically resulted from that case. There's been some more recent activity um, regarding what Google Analytics and cookies. Right. So um, the Neub organization filed a number of lawsuits, namely 101, in connection with Google Analytics, and they are starting to unfold. Um, and there have been three decisions. One of them was not a Dalmatian claim. It was the European Data Protection Supervisor decision on Google Analytics, where uh, the European, um, where uh, a European entity was using. Uh, had a website. The website had Google Analytics. Uh, the website was actually for COVID testing, um, and they had Google Analytics. And one of the claims was that um, this is not legal because you cannot share information with the U.S. through Google Analytics. There is no sufficient protection. Um, the EDBS said this is correct. You cannot use Google Analytics for this. Um, it is not, it violates chapter five, the transfer, the, the transfer chapter for GDPR because you don't have adequate protections in the US and the NSA is watching the cookies. Uh, there was a similar case in that situation. Uh, there in, in that situation, Google was using um, there was a feature which Google has for anonymized IP addresses where you crop the last four of the IP octet. Um, but that was not kind of discussed in depth because apparently it wasn't operated properly. It wasn't implemented properly. The next case was DSB in Austria. It was a case against Google Analytics. Um, DSB also said that um, the Google Analytics can't be used. DSB actually went further. And I think Keneal, which is the third decision, and now apparently Noy posted that there are additional Keneal decisions forthcoming. Uh, in the same vein, DSB basically said, well, you know, we didn't really get good information from Google Analytics, uh, from Google about how or the or from the uh, defendant, which was the Austrian website that deployed Google Analytics. We didn't really get good information from them as to whether or not the, the anonymized IP function was functioning properly but even if it was, it doesn't really matter because Google uses other, there's an ID, there's a cookie ID, there's other information that is used that is sufficient to constitute personal data. And that personal data gets transferred to the US and the NSA is watching and therefore you can't use it. So that's basically where we are on. Um, and then you've had other Kind of regulators saying, hey, I think Denmark and Norway said, hey, you know, watch this space. We, you know, advise you. We haven't made a decision, but we're looking into it. And it would be uh, smart of you to try to find alternatives here. Yeah, Google always uh, pressing the envelope in terms of surveillance. So I think it's pervasive and it's going to take a while because their tentacles are in so many, so many, you know, millions of websites. What's interesting is it's twofold. Because the, there's, there, may be, there may be issues, right, let's say, with Google Analytics itself and like, and, you know, there are kind of, you know, investigations and statements and things about, you know, how the information is shared 
the very large number of subprocessors that are used for Google Analytics. The you know, use of the information, whether or not the use of the information is a processor or not. DSB, they, DSB in Austria said it was a processor. There are other deployments where it's not a processor. So let's, but let's set that aside. The issue right now that is being uh, discussed in a lot of these cases is the cross-border transfer. So the issue with the surveillance there is one which is um, because the NSA can issue an order that Google can't refuse because it's the NSA and because it's a US-based company um, to look at this information, this is what makes the transfer risky. Mm -hmm. And the issue with that is, and that's what we've seen now, and we've also seen a couple of developments in this area where we've seen some you know, DPIAs that have been issued and a guidance, a couple of DPIAs by the Netherlands and a big guidance on cloud computing by Denmark. And basically what they're saying is, you know, I mentioned the supplemental measures. Basically they're saying, look, and, the, and DSB said that too, but they're basically saying, look, you can't use clauses without supplemental measures. The only supplemental you the supplemental the only supplemental measure that would work for the U.S. is a technical supplemental measure that makes it physically I mean not physically but like technically impossible for the NSA to access the information and that is very difficult because this means one for like storage or whatever it means end to end encryption with bring your own key, which not all services support. It means encryption in transit. It also means per the per, per Denmark, something called encryption in use, which is really difficult and also really not that widely available as a commercial service. So basically the issue here is there's basically two options here. Well, three, one, don't use a US provider. Two, try to figure out a way to completely technically lock down the NSA. Um, three, get some sort of statutory or legal solution from the Biden administration. And four, which is the only one that we're left with, really, in, I mean, in most of the cases, is like, you know, try to figure out a way to do your best with what you got. OK, well, maybe Google Analytics has replacements, but like. Do cloud storage, does all cloud storage, does do all SaaS agreements, SaaS providers in the US have replacements? I mean, it's a very difficult place that both the European clients are in and the US providers are in. Yeah, that uh, encryption in, in use is the toughest one. And uh, that's an emerging technology. There are very few companies that actually can do that. There's an emerging technology, I, I think I read about it called confidential computing. And uh, that's this new sort of cloud-based um, technology where you're essentially walled off and you have your own separate computing session that's, that's confidential and, and encrypted somehow. So there's, we're going to see, I think, more of those technological solutions to this to be able to be employed. But, you know, at the same time, um, you've got Google and the NSA and the whole stack of, of uh, basically, you know, companies that are like Facebook and Google that are based on surveillance pushing the other way. And, and, and well, they're already entrenched. So now we're trying to get them, you know, pushed back unentrenched. What's interesting about all that, the data protection um, issue is with the new USMCA, the, 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 the NAFTA 2.0 agreement, it's okay to transfer 
uh, data of Mexican and Canadian citizens between the U.S. or hold it in the U.S. And that's not the case with GDPR. That's a, a, a and I asked the head of privacy in Mexico, um, which is not a real strong agency, but um, in fact, they almost tried to get rid of it. I asked him, how come they gave up that concession? And he said, well, we, we sort of had to do it to get the deal done, you know, and that's where all the, that's where all of the, you know, uh, the tech giants are. So, you know, uh, we had to acquiesce on that. But, you know, if you're a French citizen, you're in France or you're in Germany, you know, they have walled that off, right, through GDPR? So it's it's walled off is sort of where we're maybe hopefully not headed, but um, it's basically, you know, the, the concept, it's basically, and this is sort of this like big discussion between uh, two kind of sides of the debate. Um, it's clear, what what is clear is this, GDPR requires data to, it's like, you know, the statement, like, follow the money. It's like, follow the data protection, right? Like the protection needs to follow the data. The data needs to go from the, wherever it goes, it needs to be surrounded by this halo of protection, which is at the same level as Europe. Okay. That's the concept, but that's the, the, you know, the devil and the beauty or whatever of this thing is like, okay, well, what does that actually mean in real life? Right? So what it means in real life is that on the one hand, and this is, I think, a win or a difference or something of the shrimp skates, is that this is getting companies really to look, take a hard look at what they have, take a look at their providers, take a look at what's going on and say, okay, well, do I really need this? What's going on with this provider? Oh my God, this is going to China. Why? Why does this have 50 subprocessors, right? Like these are questions that, you know, should have been asked to begin with but weren't. And by the way, this also query, right? How feasible is it, right? Like I have fit 30 subprocessors. I have 30, I'm a processor. I have 30 subprocessors. Each subprocessor has another 30 subprocessors. And I need to fig- to understand exactly how these things are going. I can't do this myself. Definitely not as an SME, but I can't do this. So there, it needs to start coming from these big providers that need to give us all the information so that I, as the SME, okay, I have 30 providers, but I'm looking and here's the TIA for everybody. And here's what I understand. So this is one aspect, which this part is difficult, but, and you know, it's very, as you said, and trend, like now we know this is how we're doing business, right? And it's difficult, but okay. The other piece is, and these are things that are under somebody's control. It's either under my control or under the control of the big providers, right? Like there was, I told you the Netherlands did a TIA DPIA with Microsoft and with Zoom. They both started out as having erect, like insurmountable high risks, like high risk, like we can't use you. That and was after, with uh, Microsoft Teams and Zoom? It was, yeah, Teams and Zoom. They started mm-hmm. out with high risks and then they had discussions with both providers and like, well, maybe you can have this feature. Maybe you can give us this control. Well, maybe you can do that. And they got to a point where both of them were, I think they had like one in each. They had one option for high risk, which is could be changed by settings. And the rest of them were low risk, which are acceptable. So so this these are things that are, some of them, right, are under the control of the provider. Some of them aren't, right? Because in the, in the Teams and Zoom, by the way, so I'm mixing these two things. Some things you were saying like surveillance and practices by the provider. These are under the provider's control, right? Like if I am a joint controller or not a joint controller, or if I am sending telematics home, like this is under my control. So those are things that we can work with. The other piece, which is, hey, 
the NSA is watching and you're a US-based company, that part, I don't have any control over. I mean, the only control that I have is, okay, I'm allowing you to do bring your own key. I'm trying to do like an EU boundary is what Microsoft and Zoom both are doing, EU boundary, which is tr- structuring their service to like never, ever get get access from the US ever, right? But not everybody can do that. And so some of these things are going to be really difficult. And so inquiry, right, whether, you know, the protection following the law, um, protection following the data, right? What, what, where are you when kind of the only thing that you can do is wait for a legislative option that is not under your control? Yeah, well, you're sitting there twisting in the wind, I guess, waiting on it. Well, that's what, that's my hashtag. My hashtag is cry and pray, because I feel like all we can do (laughs) is cry and pray. I was asking, I was going to ask you about that. I see, I see you posting that cry and pray hashtag. Yeah, because I mean, because what what else can you do, right? Like, if I mean, you can write your senator, cry and pray and like write your senator, right? Like, hey, please change the law. But in the meantime, right, like, what do we do right now? And it's very, and it's a really difficult situation because it's really out of your control. And the only way to do it is in certain situations, maybe you can, you know, minimize U.S. access. But as you said, you're then still left. Okay, so I have clients and Denmark spoke about this. I have the US data, I have the EU data center, I have the EU storage, I have the EU whatever. I'm trying to limit the EU, whatever, EU access and EU support and whatever. But dude, I have a headquarters in Pennsylvania. I need to access my database from here because I'm here. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, so now everything's in Europe and Europe and Europe and Europe, but I'm accessing from here. So then Denmark says, okay, well, then you've got to do encrypt the gateway. So that even when you are processing for that split second or not split second or whatever, when it's decrypted, because you're processing and you're using the app, okay, well, maybe then the NSA will pounce. Okay, so then we're, and and there, one, okay, I don't know if the NSA pounces in those situations, really, okay, and I think the fact that they don't, and they have stated that they don't, I think, should count for something, and by the way, in the UK, it does, right, the UK that hasn't implemented this, but their stated position is, we're not going to deal with super duper theoretical possibilities. If the NSA says they don't care, if they've never cared, if they don't really do it, then the theoretical possibility that they could possibly do it, okay, this is a low risk. Um, so one, I don't know if they do or not, but even if they did, you know, is the, 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 the cost of trying to comply, right, with the three and a half or however many companies there are that do this um, encryption and use. And also it does not, it also like deprecates or whatever, like some of the functionality. Mm-hmm. So then what? Yeah, yeah, because there's going to be some overhead there to be able to secure it. Yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. So what, how do you see this playing out? What what does privacy look like from a GDPR standpoint? What's it look like in five years or so? Oh, my God, that's a huge question because everybody's now, you know, there's if you look at, at Twitter and like the statements, everybody's like, oh, GDPR is not working. It is working. The one stop shop isn't working. I think, um, God, I'm five years from now. I think I'm hoping that some of the, first of all, one big issue that is not related to this, but one big issue with GDPR compliance generally is this, this so-called one-stop shop, which is basically the collaboration between the 27 uh, and supervisory authorities, right, of the countries. And there are a bunch of 
you know, issues and, you know, kind of complaints and disgruntlement about how that is working or not working. So hopefully those kinks are going to be, you know, resolved one way or another. I think that, um, I think that, you know, there is, it is, there is a difference, I think, being made with respect to looking at things differently or the need to look at things. I think that, you know, there is, even in Europe, I mean, I still see this in some European countries, but even in Europe, pre-GDPR, they had privacy laws, but the approach was really check the boxy. Oh, let's just call it a whatever agreement and like, we'll, you know, execute it and stick it in the drawer and whatever. I think GDPR is changing, has changed, is changing the way you look at things. It's like, oh, let's look at the process. Am I allowed to do this? What's my reasoning? Is this too much? Is this too little? What are my protections? So this whole idea of kind of looking at things, examining them, and then trying to get to compliance from a substantive way. I think that's the big contribution. And I think and hope that that goes hand in hand with a risk-based approach, even though with respect to Shrems, um, Shrems himself and you know others are saying, no, there is no risk-based approach in cross-border cross transfer. It's either black or white. You either do it or you don't do it, and that's it. And I think that that even if, and I don't know, um, and I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, it's like with litigation, right? I'm going to concede the facts for the purpose of the discussion, right? Like, let's assume all the facts are correct. So let's assume that, you know, there, that, that legally, maybe that's the right thing to say is there no, there's no risk based. But what does that actually mean for life? It means that it is impossible to comply. It means you have tens, if not hundreds of thousands of companies left in not compliance and I think that, 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 in my opinion, when you, when the, when the overwhelming feeling is, there's no way I can ever do this. I think that is more detrimental to compliance than saying, you know what, I can get somewhere and, and you know, put myself in a better position against enforcement. Because the, the former is like, it's like me setting a world record in swimming. Like that's never going to happen. <laughs> Therefore, I will probably not take up swimming, you know? But if I had something else that would be a more realistic goal, I probably would do something a little bit, right? Like like I told you, right? I'm not going to be a, a Pulitzer Prize winner in German, but like maybe if my 15 minutes a day on Duolingo are going to yield some sort of fluency in X years, right? So then I keep trying. But if my goal was like a you know Pulitzer Prize in German, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, it's just too big of a, a hurdle to cross. So some companies probably just uh, throw up their hands and say, you know, if I guess if they catch us, they catch us. But this is the best we can do. And if I'm not compliant anyway, right? If I have no chance of being compliant, why am I throwing money after this money and manpower and like hours and this? Like, why am I even making an effort into something that I will never be able to to, to win? Like, why try? You know, mm -hmm. it's like there's no point. I will, you know, if I'm not compliant, I might as well not 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 make the effort. But your but your other point was that maybe this just the GDPR framework has uh, made organizations rethink how they start off and, and sort of a more of a GDPR by design approach. They're considering it up front um, as they go in, whereas before the, the framework wasn't there. Yeah, I think so. And I think that we're seeing this on in the U.S. as well. Right. I think that this concept of uh, in, in GDPR, you call it fair and lawful. 
um, has made it into CPRA and Virginia CDPA and Colorado CPA. Uh-huh. And it needs to be relevant and uh, relevant and proportionate or relevant and appropriate. And you need to do this ex ante kind of discussion, kind of analysis. And also you see it now in FTC decisions too. And the FTC has said, um, I think Lena Khan has said it herself, or maybe Rebecca Slaughter, or maybe both of them. They basically said, you know what? Notice and consent is not enough. You can't just put everything on the person. You need to put stuff on the organizations. They need to look at stuff and think, hey, am I doing the right thing here? And we see now there was there's a new super new guidance from today from the EDPB on dark patterns. And the FTC is looking at dark patterns and the California CCP, CPPA has a hearing on dark patterns like next week, I think. So dark patterns is you got to look at the beginning and say, hey, is this the right way? Am I doing this? Am I forcing people to make the right, am I like forcing people's hands here? You're like you have this analysis. And I think that the, the very, and, and this is not me saying this, this is like the philosophy of, you know, SOC 2 and Sarbanes-Oxley and like all of those, like all of an ISO, like all of these processes, they don't guarantee results, but they increase the likelihood that you will get a good result, right? Because if you're doing the thinking, it is bet, more likely you'll get the right result than if you're not doing the thinking. Mm-hmm. Let's just pivot a little bit uh, here. Um, what is it you like to do in your spare time? And, or, or did you did you start a new hobby during the pandemic? Or, or, uh, or what, what do you do when you're not uh, gdpr and <laughs> which, which is all the time, if you ask my kids. Um, so I like, I have a kayak. I got a kayak, so I kayak. I really like audiobooks, and I listen to them on the kayak, too. So I like, you know, kind of do those together. Wow. And then... Um, I also really like, well, I mean, I like cosmetics and makeup and stuff and I do face painting. So I do like face painting with my kids and stuff. So, huh. uh, and, and where do you go kayaking? We actually have a river, like two minutes driving from my house. So it's very convenient. It's oh, very cool. Very good. Sounds fun. Well, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. And it was a very enlightening and, and, and detailed discussion and Hopefully some other people will get a, a, some benefit from that as well. And we look forward to seeing and hearing you September 29th to uh, kick off our uh, InfoGov World Expo. So thanks again, and uh, we'll see you online. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to IG Talk with Robert Smallwood. More episodes are coming, so stay tuned or listen to previous episodes at InfoGovWorld.com. This episode is brought to you by InfoGov World Expo, an information governance immersive virtual event hosted by IG World Media on September 29th and 30th. With more than 100 experts speaking on topics of privacy, security, e-discovery, and governance, InfoGov World Expo really is the greatest IG show on earth. To learn more and purchase tickets, visit InfoGovWorldExpo.com and follow hashtag IGW22.